being reasonable. Now heard on WHUPLP Hillsborough, WCOM Carborough, and WPVM Asheville. Being Reasonable comes to you from the WHUP studios in downtown Hillsborough, North Carolina. Please fasten your seatbelts. I'm Mark Solomon, and you are taking part in Being Reasonable, the weekly conversation show that focuses on how we've arrived on our steadfast views and our desire to know what is true. To participate in this friendly collaboration, all you need is respectfulness and an honest interest in the truth. We can all improve the way we form and consider our beliefs. And we can do so by being reasonable. One, two. On this week's show, we speak with a professor of religion from a nationally recognized university as she discusses her belief that we need to be much more nuanced in how we think about identity. So uh, the reason I'm I'm resisting sort of the binary on that is because I grew up in a Jewish family. Okay. In that my, I'm interracial and um, part of my family is African-American. Part of my family is Ashkenazic Jewish. And... My father, who's the kind of representative of my Ashkenazic Jewish side, is not religious. Okay. And so most of my experience of Judaism came from my extended family. So I grew up with a sense of being Jewish and belonging to the Jewish people. Uh. But I did not grow up in an observant home. And I did not grow up. I didn't grow up the way, say, my kids are growing up, kind of going to Jewish day school and kind of doing all those things. I had a kind of different path. Is, your mom, of, is your mom Jewish? As, or does she identify as being Jewish? Put it that way. Uh, she does not. Okay. No. So I um, I tell people, I don't know if you saw my bio, but I tell people I grew up Jewish in the black church, which, you know, raises as many questions as it answers. Yes. Do people have a lot of questions for you when you were younger, maybe? Yeah. So it's funny as people, people had a lot of questions about my parents and a racial relationship and kind of what was it like with the different cultures and how that works. What's funny is now I'm married to a Kenyan. So somebody who's actually from halfway around the world and no one ever asked me that anymore. No one ever asked me about my cultural differences from my husband, who's from an actual other continent. (laughs) Is there a belief you wish to discuss? Sure. Um, I believe that we need to be much more nuanced in how we think about identity. So I probably failed that first question when I asked (laughs) (laughs) the household you grew up in. I was probably asking you questions in a binary way. Tell me more about that. Okay. I think a lot of the way we think about identity is those forms we fill out all the time. You know, race, check one. Black, African-American, white, Caucasian, um, Asian, Pacific Islander, you know, I forgot, non-Hispanic, non-Hispanic, Hispanic, you know, all those, those forms we fill out all the time. And we think that's what people really are. And we take a lot of complicated realities and we distill them as though they could be summed up in one word and in checking one box, or maybe two now, we might get two. So instead of looking at race or gender or religion in a binary way, what is a good alternative? I think a good alternative, and I focus, 
uh, my scholarship focuses especially on race and that kind of identity, but I think it certainly applies to, to a lot of these other categories as well. I think if we're serious about really trying to understand people, we need to ask more questions than we do. And we realize, need to realize that all the answers to those questions may not align and that those answers may shift over the course of a person's life. That it's not just someone is born a certain thing and that's what they are, period. Are you saying that, generally speaking, maybe those questions don't even need to be asked or asked in a different way? Uh, I think there are some good reasons we ask those questions, but we need to drill down into what those reasons are and not be sort of sloppy and ask them all in one thing. So, for example, one reason that people ask about identity is to relate some, you know, to, to figure out someone's medical history, right. right? To figure out, like, should you test me for Tay-Sachs? You know, which is a very different question than trying to figure out, well, how might I be impacted by the legacy of slavery? Oh. Those are two different kinds of purposes or, you know, things like that. On a scale from one to seven, how confident are you that this belief is true? Let's say seven. And on a scale from one to seven, how important is it for you to believe in true things? I guess it depends what that means. I believe in calling it how I see it. I believe in responding to the facts that are available. I also believe that there's more to the world than I understand. And I don't assume that I, that my perceptions are always reality. Well, that's an interesting response. So we should probably discuss that first before we get into the belief. Sure. Do you think that there are objective, universal truths or are all truths personal and, and subjective? Hmm. Um, I, I guess the best way to ex ex explain what I mean would be an example. Okay. So when I grew up, I learned um, this mnemonic to remember the planets. And this was back when we had Pluto. Uh -huh. uh, but it was my very educated mother just served us nine pizzas. And the first letters spell out the Mercury, Venus, Earth, you know, et cetera. Um, and so we learned that as a way to understand the planets. And so there's a sense in which that mnemonic helps me understand something about the world, right? It helps me understand the planets and the, their distance from the sun. And in, so in that sense, it's true, but it's also the mnemonic is a way of getting at something greater. And it's a way of putting something into language that is greater than that language itself. So it's not that, you know, well, who was this mother and what did she do? And do people eat pizzas and why was she serving? It's that isn't really the point. It's the point that it's sort of pointing to something beyond itself. Um, so I don't think it's all just what we say, but I think that people have limitations and that we don't always, we just have ways of getting at what's out there. I'm not quite following you, but I will. So let me understand. So when I see that mnemonic, I just understand that as a way of remembering a truth Mm -hmm. about the universe. And I see that as a device to do so. And the device itself, I'm not seeing as saying anything about the greater reality. And when I'm thinking of a universal truth, maybe I'm thinking of it in terms of, let's say, the planets, that those planets exist as planets, mm -hmm. whether we exist or don't exist, or whether I'm thinking about them or not thinking about them, those planets exist, and that's a universal truth. That's what I'm thinking about 
when I think about truths, am I not thinking about this as the way you're describing it? I think you are. Um, that that this mnemonic that I was taught was how I learned to understand the distance of the planets from the sun. Somebody else might have been taught something else. And so I can say this that I was taught is, like, the, first of all, the planets are there. There are planets in yeah. my version. Um, and this mnemonic that I learned is what gives me access to that truth. And someone else may get there through a different door that does not make sense to me and that I don't understand, but that is their way of getting there. Okay. So there's a greater universal objective truth, and we have different ways at arriving at that truth. Yes. And that we can't always know that distinction between what is the, we're not always as self-aware as we are when it's something like a mnemonic device, where we know that this is something we've made up to explain something else, that sometimes those things seem like one experientially, even though they might not be. Okay. I think I understand better now. Someone could use a different mnemonic device to get to that truth. And that different mnemonic device might sound odd to us, but it still gets to whatever that truth is. Yes. Or even the way people talk about different kinds of science, and I'm not an expert on this, but classical Chinese science operates from very different principles than science as it's taught in this culture. And it's a whole different way of thinking. It's a whole different way of going about things. And it works. They made stuff. And yet it's just a different way of approaching the topic. And just to make sure that we're on the same page, so I have chickens in my backyard. Mm -hmm. And there are either an even or odd number of chickens. I might not know the answer. You might not know the answer. But there is a truth there. It's either even or odd. And that doesn't matter what we think about it. That's true. No? Yes. Yes. I think so. I mean, the concept of even and odd, someone who knows more about mathematics might go down some rabbit hole I'm not prepared for. Um, But yes, I guess the bottom line is, I, I think the most important part of all that for me is that I'm comfortable with the idea that there's more to life than I understand and that believing in truth and kind of orienting my way of understanding things towards truth as best I understand it, I don't assume that I have this sort of comprehensive awareness. How do you know your belief is true? I know that from experience and I've learned that from studying more of kind of how identity works how it operates in this society. And it's also been influenced by my, um, my professional area of focus is the Hebrew Bible. So it's also been influenced by things that I've read there. And how does it work in our culture? Well, we have uh, this idea of sort of checking boxes to connote identity, that that is a relatively recent invention. And when I say recent, I say it as a biblical scholar. So anything that's not thousands of years old is recent. Um, But that's a relatively recent thing. I mean, we operate as though people are just born with a, say, a racial identity that just is. That's what they are. That's what they were born. And that means something. Um, But that kind of way of looking at the world was something that developed in history and it developed for some particular reasons. It wasn't the case that people always believed in what I'll call this this, um, checkbox version of identity, that people didn't always think of it that way. They weren't always concerned that everybody have one classification that was absolute, that was stable, and that every kind of classification did the same work as every other one. 
that that in part developed in response to the colonial census, where all of a sudden there was this need in governance to count everybody and to count everybody once and only once. And that's when people began to become very concerned with checking boxes and putting people into groups and kind of creating what are sometimes false equivalencies between those groups. What if Tony is uh, sitting next to you and Tony says, yeah, I understand that not everyone falls neatly into these certain boxes, but uh, these boxes are useful because they give us some general information and it helps us just understand the general background of who's who in our country. So I would want to distinguish between, say, something like race as a social truth, that it's something that's played a role in the history of this country and it still plays a role in the shape of this society without saying that it's sort of an absolute truth of human existence, that we can deal with it as a social and a historical truth without assuming that human life can never be any other way. Can you give me an example? Sure. Um, So if we think about students, right? So I work with college students. When college students are on campus, it matters a lot if they're a first year, sophomore, junior, senior. That means a lot. That has a lot of impact on how they register for classes, where they live, what they do, how they socialize. That's a hugely definitive aspect of their life because they're college students. When they go off campus, no one cares, right? They are not really a sophomore in the depths of their soul. That's just something that was created because it's meaningful for organizing campus life. In this society, we've been playing that game for hundreds of years. And it's not just something people walk into for four years or so. Um, It's something that has actually set down deep roots that people are sort of born into the middle of um, in in a society that's very much been shaped by that game. But it's important to me to recognize that it is a game because in order to really deal with it as it is, we don't want to lose sight of the idea that it could become something else, that this is what we're stuck with and that this is all the only way we can ever think about and relate to each other. So I think what you're saying, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that these classifications we use are an artifice. Yes. That we make them up and there may be some utility to it, but overall it really doesn't capture individuals. Yes. And that people believe too deeply in their reality. Say that again. That people believe too deeply that these categories are real and that they can't be changed. People don't see it as something that's been chosen. People see it as just how the world is. Are you telling me, and I'm not saying this is the case, that if someone was to give you information to show you to your satisfaction that for whatever reason people did fall into these categories and these categories weren't as fluid as you suggest, then you would change your mind on that? Yes, that would be difficult because so far, one of the things that the categories have difficulty accounting for is the fact that I exist in the world. So that's why kind of from a very young age, I've been skeptical of this because I would go to school, fill out a form, you know, it would say race, check one, and I'd ignore them and I'd check two. And I think, why would they say check one? I have two parents. Obviously, I need to check two boxes. I would check two boxes. I would check black and white. I was a very literal child. Turn it back in. Um, then they would change it. They would say, no, you're confused. Race it to just say black, you know, give it back to me. Um, but why it was so difficult to have the to even get at the idea that someone could have parents of different races, this did not seem 
revolutionary to me, but this was something that people have had a hard time getting their minds around. What we need to get to is not this idea that race is real and all races are good, but that race itself is part of the problem. On one level, we have to concentrate on it because it's so historically and socially influential, because it shapes our everyday life, because it shapes where and how we live. We have to pay attention to that. So it'd be nice if we didn't have to, but... Right. Right. We need to work towards a place where we get, you know, we need to work towards that. We need to... Now, how does this relate to what you do, your religious studies and your work? Or is that something that's separate? It's very much a part of it. So one of the most recent scholarly articles I wrote is about a children's book about um, a transracial adoption. So it's about a white Jewish family adopting a baby from Vietnam. And so one of the things, one of the ways that this shows up in the book is that they, there's a scene where the, the, the baby hasn't arrived yet, but the, the adoptive brothers and mother discuss the baby's identity. And the littlest brother says, soon the baby's not going to be Vietnamese anymore. She's going to be Jewish. And then the older brother says, no, you can, she can be Vietnamese and Jewish. You can be two things. And the mother says, yes, the older brother's right. Um, she'll be Vietnamese and Jewish. And because she'll always have, and I'm not going to quote this perfectly, but she'll always have straight black hair and almond-shaped eyes and golden brown skin and things like that. So what I want to explore with that is this idea, it's not just a question of can people have a multifaceted identity, but as this family is discussing this baby, there's this sense that this baby has this racial identity in her features that nothing can change. And it's interesting to sort of compare that to how the how the adoptive families presented that, you know, demographically speaking, they're probably only third generation American. And yet they never talk about that family's experience of immigration, that that has nothing to do with who they are. When it comes to race and religion, are both equally malleable or are we talking about two different kinds of things? I think that we're not, but that other people think that they are. So for example, in this book, they get the idea that, well, a baby can become Jewish. That's a thing that can happen. But this baby was born with these features, therefore her race is not going to change. That race is beyond the scope of religion and race is not amenable to change. And to even look at how something like the idea of Jewish peoplehood has been modified to fit within the rules of race. That in this country, religions can change. You can change religions, but race just is. And what it means to really think about a peoplehood that transcends this concept of race so that it it can include people that this culture assigns to different races. I think what you're saying when it comes to race is that although we're not there as a culture, something to strive for would be a situation in the future where we don't really have to talk about race so much because it's just not as important. Is that true? Um, yes, I think ultimately we do want to phase this, this concept out. I think it's going to take us a long time, but that is where we want to go. And the same with religion? To phase religion out? Uh-huh. No, I, I think what I would want to argue for is being able to embrace more fully the concepts of identity. And I work with the Hebrew Bible, so I'll speak for Judaism and Christianity. Broader concepts of identity that are available there that could in some ways, I think, be a corrective to some of our social tendencies if we don't adapt Judaism and Christianity to American rules. I'm trying to understand where you're coming from. It seems that 
a more perfect world in your mind is a world where race is just sort of in the background and not important and not discussed as much, but that is different for religion. Why is religion different? Because I could see why, I could see how the argument could be made. Well, just like race, if we got to a place where there were no huge differences between uh, how he talked about religion or religion was just sort of not discussed so much or not as important, how that could be unifying as well. It could be, I guess. Um, but I think there's always something in the background there. I don't think it's just there's sort of this pure void we have to peel the layers behind to get to. I think one of the things that's really valuable about religion, for example, and I'll speak for Judaism and Christianity, is this is the way that it makes people belong to something bigger than themselves, and not just in the sense of belonging to a group, but also belonging to a group of people that transcends, that crosses cultures and historical periods. What so, if Tony, who is sitting next to you, says part of why race is important is that it brings people together, it gives you a sense of history, and, and maybe Tony describes race as in some of the same terms you're, you describe religion. That, what, what Tony is describing as this positive function of race, that's not something I'm trying to do away with, and I don't think race is the problem. I mean, I think race is the problem, not the solution. So to take this example of the, the family, um, the white family with the baby adopted from Vietnam, right? So I think, why does that even have to be explained? Why is it that people can't just look at a family that includes people now visually coded as white and people visually coded as Asian and say their family, sure, why not? The same way they say, well, this person has blonde hair and this person has red hair and this person has brown hair but that doesn't mean they can't be sisters. Why does our imagination stumble over that, um, stumble over racial difference, um, that it constricts the concept of family so much so that this baby who will never know anything other than living with this family somehow has to be defined as being this other thing. They're not saying the baby will have a Vietnamese identity if she chooses, um, if she decides that's important to her, if she maintains a connection with her birth country or her birth family, or if, if she chooses, the way it's presented in, in the book is that she, she has to because that's how her body is. That's a truth in her body and she can't do anything about it. And I'm saying that idea is what we have to get rid of. Race is not, is itself an imposition. What if Tony, who's sitting next to you, says religion is an imposition? In this culture, and I won't speak for everyone everywhere, but I think in this culture, it's not quite the same. I don't think there's a sense in which, I think it can be, but I don't, I think there's a difference between religion as defined internally by religious communities and religion used as a category of social control and division. And I'm advocating religion as defined by religious communities. And race is not something that has that other dimension. It is only the kind of external thing of social control. Um, it doesn't have being defined in these non-restrictive ways. It doesn't have that other kind of definition that race is inherently bound up in the process of division and social control. Is religion bound up in social control? It can be. 
So I'm thinking of, for example, a documentary about Sikhs in the aftermath of 9-11. And someone saying, you know, he's not a Muslim, but he feels like he's a Muslim because people think he's a Muslim. And whenever they get mad at Muslims, they get mad at him Mm -hmm. and they attack him. Right. Um, So I think there is a kind of religious identity and discrimination that um, is a real thing and that's an issue and that happens. So I'm not trying to discount that. Um, and what I'm trying to understand is that with concepts of race, a lot of these concepts should be jettisoned and just not used and not in binary senses. And a lot of these concepts that we seem to be using are artifices. They don't really exist. And it seems to me that the same kinds of arguments could be used for religion, maybe. What if someone says that the concept of Catholicism or versus someone who is evangelical, these are all just artifices and these are things that are separating people. And these are these binary categories. And we would just do better if we got rid of religions or got rid of just the concept of God altogether. So first I would say, I don't think we can jettison race. I think it's going to take um, something a little more complicated to get past it mm-hmm. because of its its historical role. I think with religion, I'm not going to try to defend everything that sort of falls under that umbrella ever. Uh, I think what's key for me is I think within, I think the idea of the Jewish people and I think within Christianity, the idea of the body of Christ has a lot of potential to help us with this process to move to a more inclusive way of thinking because it gives a reason that people actually have to to be bound to and connected to someone outside their culture, ways of thinking outside their culture, outside their time period. Um, It's something that testifies to our essential interdependence and interconnectedness. Let me ask you the question this way. When we're talking about race, I think you would say that in a universal objective truth sense— that races just don't really exist as we think they exist. They just don't map on to what is real. Could we say the same thing about religion? I think we might have to distinguish between religion as a category and checking boxes on a form. And I think that's a complicated thing we can explore. Um, but also the idea of religious ideas kind of from religious communities. Because I think this idea, like the the John Lennon song, Imagine, right? Like if you peel everything mm-hmm. away, then it'll be good. I'm not convinced of that. I think people need a reason. I think there has to be something that causes people to care about other people or not. And I'm not saying people have to be religious to care about other people. That's not at all where I'm trying to go. But I don't think there really is appealing everything away. I think there's something there. It's just a question of what we call it. How do we know that? I don't know that we can know it in an absolute sense. I think what we can know is that sometimes, sometimes when people say that, when people, what they really mean is they don't really mean, I believe in sort of um, embracing all perspectives. They really mean, instead of saying, like, everybody has to be like me, evangelical Christian, people say something like, everybody has to be like me, cosmopolitan, because not everyone has the experience of even being aware of different religious traditions or coming into contact with them. And so this idea that you can sort of be aware of these different different possibilities and not just even choose among them, but recognize that there's this kind of deeper thing, that is itself a particular social location. It is a particular stance. That's not just something that 
everybody naturally has. So if someone says that there's really no such thing as individual races when you look at it, are they on equal footing as, say, someone who says there's really no such thing as, let's say, God when you look at it? Are both of those people on equal footing or are we talking about just different kinds of truths, different kinds of truths? Ooh, that's really deep. Um, hmm. I think as far as race, I think we can trace its development in history. We can easily sort of trace where it came from, how people started doing it, what function it serves. That's something we can, and that has been documented pretty well. Um, in terms of God, people are going to have different you know, takes on that. But I think that gets to one of those planet scenarios um, where people are trying to describe something. I don't know. I think it's a different order of question. How? And I'm trying to understand, really, truly. Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to understand where you're coming from. Because it could be argued that there's just no such thing as race. And to go off of, say, how somebody looks is probably could be seen as ridiculous because people can look all sorts of ways. And and often, let's say, people's DNA lineages don't line up with how they look. And it just doesn't make sense, Right. And maybe race in itself doesn't make sense. And it's not a universal truth that people are different races. Races. It's just, it's just something that's not real. And I'm trying to understand if someone said something similar about a religious claim about God, how that's a different sort of claim about the universe. That there's really no different religions are all made up and these are binary things and, and these are kind of checkboxes that were put in. And really, we shouldn't be talking about this at all because it's just something that doesn't truly exist. We continue our conversation with a professor of religion as she discusses her belief that we need to be much more nuanced in how we think about identity. Coming up after this short break. Hi, this is Mark Solomon, host of Being Reasonable. Do you like the show and want to help? Please subscribe to Being Reasonable as a podcast and maybe even write us a review. Thanks. I'm trying to understand if someone said something similar about a religious claim about God, how that's a different sort of claim about the universe. That there's really no different religions, they're all made up, and these are binary things, and, and these are kind of checkboxes that were put in, and really, we shouldn't be talking about this at all because it's just something that doesn't truly exist. So I think the category of religion is definitely a category that merits some historical unpacking. And sort of why is it that we align these phenomena as being religious phenomena and not these other things? Um, I think that's something that definitely... Um, so that's so religious categories are something that are true and real. No, I'm, I, no, I'm saying that religious categories, when we talk about religion... That's something that needs to be unpacked and examined. Um, what it is, why is it, you know, is there, um, when people say Hinduism, does that designate something that, that is? For example, so for like a thought experiment, let's say James believes Jesus is God. Do we think he's making a universally true statement about the world? Or is this just an artifice? Is this something he's making up? 
Uh, well, I guess there's what do we think and what does James think? I mean, people well, I can say the same you. thing and kind of get there well, for different reasons. Actually, I don't, I don't even want to know what we think. Actually, I don't know, want to know what he thinks. I want to know what's true. What can we say that's true about the world? I think one challenge we have with a question like that is I think as Americans, we tend to have a very narrow idea of what truth means. That truth is always literal and historical. And that's something I run into a lot teaching the Hebrew Bible. Um, when we're reading something like um, the early chapters of Genesis, that some people are very hung up on this idea. If, if these are true stories, it means someone can go digging somewhere and find Noah's Ark and we've proved it, it's true. And that true has to mean if there were security cameras back then, they would have caught it going down just this way. And that we talk about, when we study this, we talk about myth and try to get past the sort of online quiz, the sort of myth means something that people think but is actually wrong, but myth as a way of a different kind of language for communicating deep truths. Well, James believes that Jesus is a God. Mm -hmm. Can he be a God and not a God? Can both be true? I think James can hold that claim and he can understand it in different ways. That he can literally believe that Jesus is a God. He can also believe it. Um, I'm trying to think of a way, good way to articulate this. Um, but there, there also can be other ways that people understand a statement like that, that they don't, they're not concerned with the sort of literal, factual element of it. They're looking at it as conveying something about the world and about life um, I understand in that. a different kind of way. I think I get what you're saying, but it would appear that either Jesus is a God in the sense that Jesus does God-like things, or Jesus was a person who could not do God-like things. And if I'm a third person and I just want to know what's true about the world, how could I go about finding what's true? I want to believe in true things or think true things, and I don't want to believe in false things or think false things, whether it's a God claim or a race claim. And I'm trying to understand how it is that you see those two different kinds of claims in two different ways. I think that with when it comes to race, for example, that there's this illusion that people have that people think it's simply true that people have kind of certain clear visual clues that point to something and this is someone's true categorization. But I would actually argue that race is distorting. So case in point. I go to buy a doll for my children. Uh, I, went to, I wanted to buy a doll for my son when I was going to have my daughter. So he was going to be a big brother. I wanted to get him a doll to kind of prepare, be a big brother. So I go to the toy store. Now we have dolls in all kinds of different hues. And I have this dilemma because the one that looks most like him when he was born is the one that's the Asian doll. And so then I have this like, well, do I buy him the Asian doll or do I buy him the black doll? Which one do I get? You know, which. So it's not just a question of, what, hap what race ends up doing is it distorts the diversity of what people actually look like. That people think it's just, this is what's there. But does it distort what is true? Yes. What if I said that religion distorts how we see the world and it distorts what is true? I think it certainly could. I mean, I think... I think some religious claims could. I won't say that all religious claims have equal status and equal truth value. That people say a lot of things in the name of religion. People even 
um, and some understandings of religion believe that race is religiously given. Race, as you know, in terms of American rules, is a religious fact. And ultimately, I think there are lots of different ways of understanding a tradition. There are lots of nuances within each religion, within the category of each religion, and within the different things that are identified as religion. But what I want to point to is not so much to emphasize that I wouldn't make all of those arguments on the ground of truth. I might make them on some other grounds. What other grounds? So, for example, when I'll, when I'll suggest that within... Um, if, there are, if you're making the argument on other grounds, then you're saying those statements aren't true? No, I'm saying, well, no, if I'm making an argument on other grounds, I'm saying that that might not be the best way to have a particular conversation. If James says, and this is what James says, if James says God does not exist, there's no good evidence for God, what do we think about his statement? I'm going to compare it to your statement about race. So in the sense of, is his statement true? James says, there's just no evidence that God exists, and I'm not going to believe in something until there's good evidence for it. And in the case of a God claim, there has to be a lot of evidence for me to believe it or think it, because that's quite a claim. Do we agree with him? Do I agree? No. Why? Um, I think ultimately I disagree with the terms of the question. I think it make I mean, of James's question, I think it, I think, you know, that's how he sees the world. That's where he is. Um, no, but he's saying that's a universal truth. That's true about the world, whether he believes it or not, or you believe it or not. That's just the state of the world. That's the truth, whether we exist or not. So it seems that we don't agree with him. We think that his belief reflects a subjective truth even though he claims that it's a uh, universally objective truth. And I want to compare it to your claim about race, that being an objective truth. How do we know one is an objective truth and the other one is a subjective truth? Yeah, so I guess I guess for a question like James's, I, I would want to say that, uh, to me, I would call that more of a category error. That I think... I'm not sure the nature of God can be understood in the terms that James is setting. Um, to me, and I'll say to me, that's it's like when people are saying, how can you know climate change be real? It's cold today. It, it's sort of taking something really specific and trying to use it to talk about something that doesn't quite work that way. And I don't think that kind of the nature of God, other people have tried to do this, but Personally, I would not try to have that discussion uh, in so you're saying, in those terms because I think that's one of those where I, I Are you saying that when we believe in God, we believe it be, even though there's no evidence for it? And that's different than how we think about race? I won't, I won't make claims for what everybody means in terms of um, believing in God, but I, my experience of that is— I have not experienced that as something that with that can be a theory arrived at in the way that say like a scientific theory is arrived at where you have you know you have data people look at it people make a hypothesis does the data you know I, I don't think it can work the same way other people do and more power to them but that's not I don't agree with that so are you telling me that when it comes to how you see race that there's scientific data to support 
this view. But when it comes to religion or God, there's really not a scientific basis to support that belief. I think, I think race is something that humans say about each other. And that's a different thing than humans saying what humans say about something beyond themselves. How are those different claims? Because I think we have a kind of access to each other that's different from the access that people have to God. I mean, personally, I had a hard time with trigonometry when I was in high school, so I would not expect the nature of God to be easier than that, to be sort of fully comprehensible, like I should be able to get my mind around that more readily than I was with trigonometry. If we can't understand something, does that make that something true? The image that I personally come back to is thinking about a baby just before it's born, right? So just before a baby's born, like the moments before the baby comes out. So a baby in the womb has experience. It sees light, it sees it's, you know, light and darkness and hears sounds and all these kinds of things. But to try to, under, to explain the world as you and I occupy it, if we could have such a conversation to a baby that is, that is just about to come out, it, it, there would be no terms in which to understand it. There'd be so many things that just could not be understood from that perspective, from that limited experience. What I'm trying to say is that when it comes to talking about something as complex as God, that this is a situation where claims have to be made with a lot of humility, that people call it as they see it, but that this is an area where the limitations of human experience come heavily into play because of the complexity of the issue relative to the nature of our experience. What if I believe that Buddy Holly is a god? He's a literal god. He was born a musician. He died. He rose from the dead, and now he's a god. And if someone claims to me that Buddy Holly is not a god, I say, well, the reason why you don't see Buddy Holly as god is because it's really complex, and it's really hard to understand, and it's beyond our understanding, and it's, a, it's beyond our ability to know how— Buddy Holly is truly a god. How does that resonate with you? I would want to know what conception of God you're working with when you say that Buddy Holly is a god. What you mean by a god? That's a great question. That he is omniscient. He knows everything. He knows the past. He knows the future. He knows everyone's thinking. He controls the universe. God, and in the grand sense that Western religions think of God. How does that resonate with you when I explain Buddy Holly in that, in those terms? Uh, in the sense, do I agree with that or not? Mm -hmm. I do not agree with that. Okay. Why? What do you know about my claim about Buddy Holly that I just am not getting? And I don't mean to put you in the hot seat. That's not what the show is about. I'm truly trying to understand how you see the world and it's, I'm trying to understand how some aspects of the universe for you require certain kinds of evidence and other kinds, other aspects of the universe for you requires different kinds of evidence. I guess I mean, it's, it's hard to kind of figure out how to come at this. I think I would not join the Church of Buddy Holly, um, but I also wouldn't stand outside of it trying to convince its members that they were wrong. 
Why um, wouldn't you join the Church of Buddy Holly if I tell you he's a god? You obviously don't believe me that when I tell you that he's a god. And there's something you know, and there's something that seems like I should know if I'm believing in something that's not true. I'm just trying to understand what you know that I don't know. I, I think the reason, well, the reason for the answer that I just gave, that I would not join and I would not also stand outside trying to convince people they were wrong, is that usually that is not the sort of thing that people arrive at on the basis of truth. And that's not necessarily where that conversation is going to be productive. So my believing that Buddy Holly is a god is not true. Where this is coming from for me is I'm, I'm thinking of a conversation I had with someone, and I don't remember how this happened. It happened so fast. But I was walking down the street, and someone was was, was kind of on the doing one of those things right outside, kind of trying to talk to people about their point of view. And I don't remember how this came up or how this came up within minutes of talking to a stranger. But somehow someone was trying to tell me something about childbirth that I knew from experience was not accurate. Mm -hmm. I think about the baby growing in the placenta or something like that. And I was very up on this because I had just done it, not how it works. And I was trying to explain to the person, that is not how it works. I know I just had a baby. I saw how all this went down um, and he was not having it. Um, it just was not, it became very quickly like this was not a conversation that we could have because we were not um, operating with enough agreed upon terms to have a productive conversation. That there was nothing I could tell him that would displace his conviction that this was the case. Who am I in this scenario? Am I the guy who is just not having any of it or am I you? <laughs> well, I think... I think it's important to understand religious claims not as sort of isolated things, but as belonging to a larger system of some sort, and often belonging to a community of some sort that has established certain parameters and rules and kind of things like that for what, what kinds of claims will be accepted and what kinds of claims will not be accepted. And that to try to speak to someone across a difference, assuming that you're talking about the same thing, it's not usually accurate. And it requires a little deeper conversation than to just know this is wrong, I can prove it to you. That that's not usually how people hold those kinds of convictions. I thought I just wasn't understanding where you were coming from. So so let uh, me explain, let me okay. try to explain yeah, yeah, a different yeah. example. So we can think about Santa Claus, right? So belief in Santa Claus and this idea of Santa Claus. And so if you ask, say, a, like a four-year-old who doesn't Santa thing, what that means is the story of, a, you know, a fat guy comes down the chimney, brings gifts. If they're good, slay, you know, deal. So there's one way that a four-year-old inhabits that claim, kind of what that means. It could be a little different for a 10-year-old who may be like, look, okay, I know the fat man thing is not real. I, there's gifts under the tree from Santa. I'm not going to say no to that. I'll work with this. And so on one level, they know, okay, it's my parents wrapping the stuff where they have a different kind of distance from it, but there is still, it's different ways of talking about the same thing. How is the claim that Santa Claus is this person who flies around in a sleigh and uh, delivers toys and uh, keeps a list? And how is a Santa Claus claim in that sense different from a God claim? Well, the reason I'm bringing up Santa Claus is because there's different ways of thinking about Santa Claus, that there is a very narrow sort of four-year-old way of thinking about Santa Claus. This is totally happening. 
But there's also this sense that for some people, Santa Claus describes what I'll call as a cultural phenomenon, that people really do get gifts from Santa Claus. They get gifts that say on the tag, from Santa. It's a story that we're telling as a culture that people participate in, even down to some TV stations have the weather forecaster will sort of track Santa on the radar. So that is something. It's not nothing. And when we're talking about, say, Jesus, we're just talking about the story of Jesus. And we're really not talking about any supernatural powers Jesus has. And if we're saying that Jesus wants you to do this or Jesus wants you to do that, that's similar to having uh, Santa Claus's name on a present, that it's just a story. Is that what you're saying? Um, I won't, I'm not going to try to say that it's, that there's one thing that it always is, but my point in kind of bringing that up is that there's different ways of thinking about something as being true. And even when people think about God, for some people, they do have that sort of community understanding of what God is. That for some people, it is more, this story is what it is. And for some people, it's a way of naming something it's a way of naming something in human experience that's not... Um, you're, seeing, you're saying a lot of people agree on what it is. That, for, that some people, when they say Santa, they mean a fat man coming down the chimney. And sometimes when people say Santa, they mean something that a lot of people do to celebrate Christmas. And but that when both they are, say Santa and they think of a fat man flying in a sleigh and delivering presents down a chimney... Is that a true statement about the supernatural abilities of Santa? And what I would want to say is those are both different ways of understanding truth, that they both could be true statements. So it could be true to say that Santa actually flies in a sleigh and delivers presents. That is a true statement. I'm not actually discussing the truth of Santa, but I mean that when we think about calling something a true statement or not a true statement, that it's important to be flexible in what ways that a statement might be true. So the Santa claim could be true or false in the four-year-old sense, and the Santa claim could be true or false in the community sense, in the sense of like, this is something a community does together to celebrate Christmas. What about... The truth doesn't have to just be the four-year-old version. I get that we can see that conceptions of a figure can change over time, but I'm trying to wrap my head around how, let's say, the claim of Santa flying around in a sleigh and delivering presents down a chimney, how that could be true at any point. Because I think you and I would probably agree that's not true. Sorry, kids listening at home, but there are probably no kids listening to this show. <laughs> but, but we could probably agree that that statement is just not true because there's just not evidence for that being true, that to ascribe supernatural powers to Santa. I, I think what I would want to say is there's different ways of coming at it. I mean, I think there's the four-year-old, this is totally happening. And then there's the seven-year-old, I, understand he I be- know this is not happening. You're wrong. I know the truth I understand that he believes it's true. The four-year-old absolutely believes that Santa is flying around delivering presents. But could we agree that that's not true? 
And what I want to say is that maybe the four-year-old saying that could also be understood as a way of saying what the four-year-old's parents are doing, giving the presence as best it can be understood from a four-year-old. And I understand that that's the best way he can understand it with the information he has, but does that make it true? The only reason why I'm pressing you on this is that on a scale from one to seven, that's why I spent so much time on this in the beginning, is that you want to believe in true things at a seven, and you believe in universal truths, that what's true for one person is going to be true for another person in a universal sense, that if we don't exist, that truth is still there. Yes, but I would say just because some truths are universal doesn't mean they all are. Um, that every claim, therefore, kind of has the same status. But I, So there are subjective truths. Sure. What's in a subjective truth? What's an example of one? Well, um, what is the best movie? What is the best movie ever made? So that sounds like an opinion and not a fact. Or even, I mean, if, if you want a, a richer example, I'll say, so I'm a biblical scholar. I interpret mm-hmm. text. When I read a text... For me, the process is really trying to be led by the text in the sense of trying to really to go through it and to kind of read it and and to really let the meaning arise from the words, so to speak, as much as possible to kind of to be surprised by what I'm reading and not just kind of this is what I know. Here it is. Um, So you're trying to find a greater truth. Yes. And is that greater truth subjective or objective? Subjective. Because, for example, I've been at a conference where someone has done their interpretation of a text that I've studied, and they make decisions that I would not make. Are subjective truths true? Well, the reason I would say it's true, for example, is because the the example I'm thinking of, someone was talking about um, a community in India dealing with a problem of sexual assault. I think sexual assault of children going unpunished. And sort of thinking, well, in those circumstances, reading this text, I think it totally makes sense to describe this text in that way, not how I would describe it. So I didn't, I would not change how I talk about that text based on that. But I think based on what that person said, true. So if you, regarding the text, if what you believe is true from a subjective standpoint and what the other person says is true from a subjective standpoint, then it seems like that, is everything true? No, that just because there are many good readings of a text doesn't mean that every reading is a good reading. Um, How do we decide? For me, for with a text, we're usually looking for something like accounting for features of the text, things that deal, that acknowledge the details and, and qualities of the text under discussion. And someone else uses numerology to describe the truth value of a text, just pulling this out of my head. At that point, are we anywhere discovering what is true in a universal sense? Or is it still all subjective? So I think people can make different decisions and have different kinds of reading strategies. Um, but that doesn't mean they're sort of an anything goes. I frequently have students talk about Jesus doing things in Hebrew Bible texts, and it doesn't say Jesus. And I'm not talking about when people say, well, symbolically, this represents Jesus. I say, well, there are words on this page, and these words don't say that. And somewhere they need to account for that. Somewhere that needs to be explained. So, And if it's not, then it's not what I would consider a successful interpretation. So your students 
manner of arriving at a truth is not a reliable way to arrive to arrive at that truth and your way is more of a reliable way to arrive at a truth i know we began talking about race and i know we kind of got away from that but where i am in my head is that there seems to be coming from you two different ways of knowing things and when it comes to race you're knowing things in a different way than how you know a religious claim. And I think that difference is how we are ascribing the existence of a universal truth to one claim versus another claim. Am I wrong? I wouldn't describe the difference as the truth status. I would describe the difference as a difference in our ability to evaluate the claim and our relationship to the thing being described. If we have trouble evaluating a claim, should that claim be made? Maybe. The reason why I tell myself I do this show is that we live in a time where people have wildly different beliefs and wildly different belief systems. And in our present moment, it seems that these wildly different belief systems are really getting us into trouble, like serious trouble. And my thought is, is that a lot of beliefs that are presented in the world are based on subjective truths, not, and not necessarily objective truths, but people are mistaken in the sense that they are seeing their subjective truths as objectively true. How does that resonate with you? Yeah, I definitely, it definitely resonates with me. Um, yeah, and to me, that's part of the value that I see in religious communities potentially is because it, it binds people to other people in a way that we can't let our subjective truth stand unchallenged. Um, thinking about those things that go around the internet, that dress that some people think is blue and black and some people think is white and gold, right? Or that sound that some people hear as Yanny and some people hear as Laurel. Um, if you only hear what you hear, or if you only look at it, it's not interesting. It's not until you talk to other people that you realize that there's something more complex going on. And so I think there's a lot of value um, in being bound to other people in conversation and respect to be able to sort these things out and that we can't always tell the difference between what seems objective as straightforward as, well, this is what it said, I heard it, and discovering, well, actually it's more complex than I thought because other people can hear the same thing differently. From the WHUP studios in downtown Hillsboro, North Carolina, I'm Mark Solomon, and you've just listened to another episode of Being Reasonable. Questions? Thoughts? Connect with us at beingreasonableshow.com. See you next week. <laughs>